Hello and welcome back to the first episode of the Drinker's Gridiron. I am your host, Noah, as always, welcomed by my fantastic co-host, Ivan. Oh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here. And as always, we are brought to you by Primetime Productions. Go to Primetime Productions where you can find all of your sports podcasts, whether it be NHL, NBA, or NFL. Go to Primetime Productions. Ivan, I am so glad we've finally been able to change our name. It's been a long time. It, it has been. It's a long time coming, and credit to whoever thought of this fancy name. That being you, I'll give you credit. I, I like it. Let's, let's give credit to the toilet I was sitting on when I, when I came up with it. All right. Uh, is that your toilet or is it a work toilet? Work toilet. Oh, okay. So it's a random customer third of the day. Thank you very much if you are listening to this podcast. Now, Ivan, I can see you've been eyeing this drink. I've kept it a mystery from you. This you've, been, you've, you've, been, you've been teasing me for like four days. Exactly. This has been a drink that I've been working on for honestly like two weeks, three weeks, because I wanted to plan it out and give it to you in a way that would do this drink justice. This is an oldie. It's a goodie. It's a classic. And the drink that we are having today is a Cuba Libre. But anyways, today we are drinking a wonderful Cuba Libre. Um, Ivan, I want you to take a sip first. And before you say anything, I'll tell you how it's made. Okay. Okay, so take a is, sip. Now, should I be swallowing? Is this like a let it sit in the mouth and absorb the flavor type deal or just knock it, it back? you would drink it. Oh, okay. Well, cheers. Cheers. Now, how you make a Cuba Libre is you get a wonderful dark rum. I've chosen a nice Jamaican dark rum. And... As for the second ingredient, you get a lime. You squeeze half a lime inside and you garnish with a lime atop. And the final ingredient, you take a nice ice cold cola and pour it in. And that is how you make a Cuba Libre. So I, I got to be honest, when you were describing it, I thought you were just going to straight up tell me you put like a dozen ounces of rum into a glass with ice and lime. Nope, it's a rum and coke. <laughs> get out of my house. It's good. But get out. What kind of rum did you use? What brand? My namesake. Captain Morgan. Ah, okay. It's not. I don't. I don't think it's Jamaican. I just wanted to say it to be fancy. It's. I. I actually don't know, but I don't I'm think pretty so. Pretty sure it's American. American dark rum. Son of a bitch. Stacey. The worst part is it's good. I can't even be mad about that. Oh, I'm. I've been told by so many people I am the best at making rum and cokes because I love limes. I mean, you saw me eat two pieces of lime as I was making them, or as I was cutting up the limes, excuse me. And as for the rum, I love dark rum, so that's my rum of choice. 
and then uh, I just get Pepsi. You like Pepsi. I like Pepsi. We both like it over Coke. We're a hashtag Pepsi power podcast. Um, and uh, that's how I personally like my rum and Cokes. And I've had a lot of people enjoy my rum and Cokes. I, actually, this is the first time I've made you one, right? It definitely is. We have never... We've done just about every beer under the sun in the time that I've known you, but we've never we never stretched out into rum that I can remember. Mm. You're more of a whiskey guy. I'm more of a rum guy. See, and that's the funny thing, actually, because I started as a huge rum guy, and I will always love it. But, you know, tastes evolve, and that's, that's the way she goes. Oh, that hits the spot. Really oh, nice. yeah. But as much as I would love to talk about Cuba Libres... Uh, we should probably move on with the rest of the episode. Ivan, do you want to kick us off with your first recap? Of course I do, and I'm going to talk about a classic NFC North matchup, the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. The Bears. The Bears. The Bears. So I made a mistake, Noah. Yeah, I noticed you did. You had faith in the Bears. That was your first mistake. That was. My second mistake was signing up for this game. Um, uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your second mistake was doubting me. Your third mistake was signing up for that game. I doubt you on the regular. That doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> so, um, no Justin Jefferson in the lineup for Minnesota. Yep. It really didn't matter. What did matter is the fact that Khalil Herbert was injured for Chicago and they were using Deontay Foreman as their lead back. Now, I love Deontay Foreman. Very good running back. But he's not Khalil Herbert. Bears were wearing commemorative patches on their jerseys for this game in memory of the late, great Kiss? Dick Butkus. Yeah, they had the 51 patches. Really a nice detail from the organization, which surprises me because it's the Bears. The Bears. So, um... I made it very clear that uh, without Justin Jefferson, the Vikings receiving core was going to have to step it up. And as a whole, they did. I mean, TJ Hawkinson, six receptions for 50 yards. KJ Osborne, four receptions for 48. Pretty good. Jordan Addison had a receiving touchdown. But I want to talk about the beginning of the game for a little bit because it sucked. Kickers did everything to start this game, and I debated turning it off and going outside to get some fresh air because uh, I would honestly put this game lower than Jets Patriots in terms of enjoyment. Minnesota's Marcus Davenport exited the game early in the second quarter with an injury. I have not seen any reports as to what it was. It did not look terribly serious. Now, I want to talk about some controversy because, you know, what is a good NFC North game without controversy? Captain Kirk, under center, snaps the ball. He's trying to make a playoff to Alex Madison, and he laterals it, and it hits the ground. Well, everyone knows that that means fumble. Fumble. Ball. The, Bear, the Bears recover. Any good defense at that point immediately calls ball, 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 because that is, in fact, a fumble. It is a fumble. Or so we thought. It was called a fumble on the field, and the referees did what they do best and got their heads under that magic black tent and said, actually, you know what? What if it wasn't? Because the bear who jumped on it last had half of his big toe touching the white line when he touched the ball. Out of bounds. 
by rule. That's still their ball. Nope, because a Viking touched it before the bear touched it out of bounds. NFL officiating, everybody. You love to see it. It can't get much worse. <sighs> um. Now, there was something else that I wanted to talk about before getting into the real meat and potatoes, and I want to talk about Jaquan Brisker and his goddamn bird arms. I have never been so infuriated by a cornerback celebration in my life. Every other play, this man, and he's away from the ball by a dozen yards, and he's out here in the back just flapping his arms. You know, I I said this to a friend of mine when the new taunting enforcement was established. I said, if they're going to call taunting on anything, call it on the corners who did absolutely nothing on the play and are still celebrating. That's a pretty good idea. I would love to see that as a penalty. I just want to see Jaquan Brisker get penalized for looking like a woodpecker on the field. So um, uh, I want to talk about something really unfortunate now, and that being the entire career of Justin Fields. He was three for six with 10 passing yards until five and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. Um, Chicago, it's a good thing you have Carolina's first round pick. Furthermore, he exited the game in the third quarter with a broken thumb. Captain Kirk and the Vikings have possession, and Kirk just throws a disgusting interception. The ball was deflected slightly. It didn't matter. It was going straight to the corner. Easy interception. The Bears get the ball back, and, well, if Justin Fields is going to do anything, it's going to, you know, he's going to one-up the previous quarterback. He threw a ball that had more yards in height than it did in distance. All the linebacker had to do was basically fair catch it. Oh. Like, this was a sky ball. I don't know where it was going. I know he had a hand on his throwing arm as he finished his motion, which I'm sure did not help. But, like, this thing took off. Easiest interception of any defender's career. And then the Vikings... To end the first half, we'll march down the field, score a touchdown with Jordan Addison. The convert gets blocked. So, the end of the first half was great. Very exciting, very eventful. It didn't get a whole lot better from there. It was just bad football. Points were scored, but it was just hard to watch. So, Captain Kirk goes 21 of 31 for 181 yards, a touchdown, sacked twice. So... Average Kirk Cousins stat line. Justin Fields, 6 of 10 for 58 yards, an interception, and four sacks. And Tyler Bagant, who came in to replace Fields. 10 of 14 for 83 yards, a pick, and a sack. Not bad. Maybe maybe you should be starting him, Chicago. Call it a, call it a gut feeling. And the last guy that I really want to hype up here... I talked about him last week. Cameron Bynum from Minnesota, nine tackles, all nine of them solo. Really, out of all the things, he was the brightest spot in this game. The Vikings had more fumbles. The Bears had two fumbles as well. It was just just a mess of a game. Vikings win 19-13, to and the NFC North is just a disaster. The first game that I'm covering is the Denver Broncos in Kansas City taking on the Chiefs. Look, this was just a boring and uneventful game. I watched this game with my dad. We both fell asleep. 
Um, both offenses didn't play well. The defenses were okay. Again, nothing special, nothing crazy. But there is one thing that I do want to talk about that was very annoying for me to watch. And that was Denver's touchdown. That never should have happened. There was a bullshit roughing the passer call. Again, just barely put a little bit of weight on Russell Wilson. That gave them a 15-yard penalty to give them another opportunity. And that was third and long. They still could have possibly scored a field goal, but they ultimately ended up scoring a touchdown. To be fair, Cortland Sutton's touchdown was an absolutely beautiful one. One of the best touchdowns this year, barring week one. Um, and it was a very, very well done play. However, once I start reading off these stats, I think you're going to have just a little bit of sympathy for me, Ivan. So, Russell Wilson went 13 for 22. Not bad. But he only had 95 yards. In the entire game. He had one touchdown. Two interceptions. And a passer rating of 46.6. Who who let bro cook? I don't know. Uh... And here's what was frustrating. Javante Williams had a great game. He had an average of 5.2 yards per carry. Do you know how many times he rushed with the ball? 10. That's it. He played well. He should not have... He he shouldn't have not been running with the ball. It was horrible coaching decisions. And ultimately, that was just this entire game in a nutshell, just baffling coaching decisions. Look, Cortland Sutton played really well. He had four receptions for 46 yards and one touchdown. Why didn't he get targeted more? Uh, Well, there's a reason why he didn't get the ball more because Russ had no time in the pocket and it did not help that he was constantly getting the ball back from punts within his 10-yard line. So he didn't have much of an opportunity. Now, defense did okay. Jose Jewell uh, was the tackle leader and had nine tackles with one assist. Justin Simmons had five tackles, one interception. And Zach Allen and Jonathan uh, Cooper each had one sack, which was good. Um, Now, the Chiefs, on the other hand, they looked like they should have been better. When I read off, read off these stats, they shouldn't have scored 19 points and one touch, one one score being a touchdown. That was it. They scored one touchdown. Tommy Townsend putting in the work. No, Harrison Butker. Yep, but I'll get to him in a second. Patrick Mahomes went 30 for 40, so that's great. That's more than respectable. Um, he went. He threw 306 yards. One touchdown, one interception, and a pass rating of 94.4. Really good. Isaiah Pacheco, 16 yards. Or, sorry, 16 rushes, pardon me. 62 yards, 3.9 yard average. He struggled. Um, Travis Kelsey is unfortunately leading the team in receiving yards. Yet again, for what is this, the fourth week in a row? 
with nine receptions, 124 yards, um, and a 13.8-yard average. Look, I love Travis Kelsey as much as the next guy. I love seeing tight ends eat. You can't rely on him to be your number one guy, especially at his age. Also, he's a great blocker. You can't have him run routes every single play. And it showed because Patrick Mahomes was not comfortable. There was a lot of pressure. Uh, Rasheed Rice was the second one, was the second best receiver. Four wrecks, 72 yards, and Kadarius Toney had the one interception. Or, sorry, the one touchdown. Pardon me. I almost said caused an interception, but... I mean, it's uh, on brand for him. It would be, but uh, no, he actually scored a touchdown this time, not a pick six. So, he's making progress. He's, you know, he's, scoring, he's scoring points for the right team. Well, that's something, you know, we all have to start somewhere. Exactly. But now, I want to give a shout-out to the MVP of the game, Harrison Bucker. Four field goals, 100% of his completion or 100% of his attempts went for completions. He did fantastic. Um, is it sad that it's the, that it's the kicker getting MVP in this game? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we've seen a kicker get league MVP before. I thought so. that was a very pathetic year, but you know what? I don't want to take anything away from Harrison. He played awesome. And everybody else just sucked. Uh, so that's the first of my three terrible, terrible, terrible games. Ivan, who you got next? I got a less terrible game. It was, this is a good old-fashioned football game, an absolute slugfest. And the slugging started before the game when both the San Francisco 49ers and the Cleveland Hands got into a brawl before the opening kickoff. Before the kickoff? Yeah. How the hell did that happen? Somebody swung at somebody. Um, look, this game, um, it it happened. I am not going to take away anything from what Cleveland did. But there are some things that I have to acknowledge. For starters, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey both exited with injuries. Yes. I'm not excusing that and saying, oh, well, if they'd been in, San Francisco would have won. But when a team loses their best player, of course, they aren't going to perform well. On the subject of not performing well, I'd like to nominate both teams, honestly, offensive-wise, at least. Because um, it, it, it wasn't great. Brock Purdy, 12 of 27 for 125 yards, one touchdown, one pick, sacked three times. <laughs> and uh, everybody's everybody's favorite quarterback, that's right, P.J. Walker, the GOAT, um, 18, of 20, 18 of 34, pardon me, 192 yards, two picks, sacked twice. This, this was not a game that was controlled by the offense whatsoever. This game was controlled by penalties and the wind. It was really windy down there. Terrible weather in Cleveland, wind, rain, the whole shebang. Um, I want you to guess how many yards of penalties each team had. Oh, each team? Each team. I'm going to go with 106 for the Niners. 
And for the hands, I'm going to go 85. Well, you were close on the Niners. 105 on 12 for the Ooh, Niners. So close. Um, the hands, you were way off. 119 on 13 calls. 119? Yeah. Okay. Um, the referees had a career day, and the sad thing is, most of the calls were 100% warranted. There was one ticky-tack DPI that was called, but outside of that, from what I was seeing, everything looked fair. It was just undisciplined football. You know, I mean, I expect better, not necessarily from the hands, because they're that tough, you know, grit, pound, sand football team, but from the Niners. Yeah, you would expect better from the Niners, especially with Shanahan. That's not something that he typically tolerates. Um, do you know if we saw a drop-off um, between halves for penalties towards it, the Niners? No, it was pretty pretty well inconsistent. Now, like a good a good chunk of them, I'll admit, are pre-snap, but still, you have to you're better than that. You know, they were the best team in the league coming in. You got to realize that an away crowd is going to be tough to play in front of. There's a couple guys I'm going to shout out for all the wrong reasons. Brandon Ayuk, four receptions, 76 yards. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Ten targets, three critical drops at least. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, It was... Not great. And while we're here, Jake Moody. Uh, shout out. Congrats on missing the first two kicks of your career. The last one of which would have won the game for the 49ers. M missing from 54 and 41 respectively, going one of three on the day. His counterpart, Dustin Hopkins, went four of five. And uh, I got a positive shout out for Fred Warner. Seven tackles, three of them solo, one pass deflection, and a pick. And quite frankly, if he had broken that last the last tackle on his return, he would have been gone. Outside of that, not not much to say. It was just the Niners got outclassed, plain and simple. Nineteen seventeen in favor of Cleveland, and I get this feeling that you have something to say, Noah. The Niners are frauds without McCaffrey. How about them Niners? Now, moving on to favorite teams that are going to get shit on. Uh, Baltimore Ravens at Tennessee in London. Look, I'm just going to pull this Band-Aid off. Tennessee did not have a scoring drive where they did not receive a critical penalty in their favor. whether it be pass interference, roughing the passer, unnecessary roughness. There, every other drive seemed to be three and out or four and out. It was bad. But Tennessee's biggest issue by far was O-line. Not even close. Except for when Tanny was in because he seemed like a very big detriment to the team. He did not play well. He didn't look good. He looked old. He looked like Drew Brees if Drew Brees stayed in the league for an extra three years instead of retiring when he did. Now, 
on the bright side, Tannehill did have an injury. Of course, we're not excited about an injury here, but fortunately for the Titans, it allows you, it allows Malik to get an opportunity to see what he's capable of, which is always a positive, especially with a younger guy. I was proud of Malik's performance because this was his first start this year. Um, look, being in London, jet lag is going to be a factor. We saw that during this game. So for Malik to come in, not expecting to play um, in London in a major deficit, he did really well. Um and just to read off the, some stats here, Tannehill went 8 for 16, 76 yards, 0 touchdowns, 1 interception, 37.5 passer rating. Malik Willis, on the other hand, wasn't given as much of an opportunity to show what he had. I think they wanted him to get comfortable first, which is tough standing behind that, that O-line. Uh, he went 4 for 5, which is really good considering he only threw five passes, 74 yards, which is good, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, but a passer rating of 118.8. Now, Derrick Henry's also looking a little old. The King, it may be time to trade him especially if Malik is maybe the guy you want to consider for the future. Um, because he he had 12 rushes for 97 yards. Not terrible. But they were asking too much of him, and there were a lot of plays where he would just get one yard, two yards, but it's because of two or three really big runs. His average was bumped up quite a bit, with his average being an 8.1-yard average. Again, he had three or two or three really, really big runs that really boosted him up. Everything else was really, really short and didn't help the team a whole lot. Now, the leading receiver is none other than the prince himself, Tajay Spears, with one reception for 48 yards. Now, Ravens, on the other hand, they had a pretty solid game. Lamar went 21 for 30. 223 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He was also their leading rusher with 13 rushes for 62 yards. Uh, Mark Andrews had four receptions for 69 yards. And Zay Flowers had the one touchdown. Now, the MVP of this game, like the other game I covered, is the kicker. Because uh, Justin Tucker went 6-for-6 six six in field goals. Patrick Queen on the defense did well. Seven tackles, two assists, one sack. Uh, Justin Matabuke, seven tackles, one assist, two sacks. Jadavian Clowney, two sacks. And uh, Van Noy with one sack. All in all, this defense looks good, but they were very, very, very undisciplined with nine penalties accounting for 88 yards, which, as I said earlier, is the only reason why Tennessee was able to get on the board at all. I'm going to put my mic down, and I'm going to let you go off here. All right? So all right. Go, go off, King. 
Okay. Um, we've reached the end of the Ryan Tannehill era here in Tennessee. That goes without saying. This man looked worse than Ben Roethlisberger did at the end of his career. And by God, Ben Roethlisberger looked terrible. Look, it's <sighs> Vrabel's insistence on running a 35-year-old who's coming off of an ankle sprain, can't move, is behind an O-line that makes Swiss cheese look like it could stop a bullet, is what has killed this team single-handedly. I understand loyalty. There becomes a point where loyalty becomes boneheaded stubbornness, and Tennessee most definitely hit that mark. Hell, even for this season as a whole. Thank thank God. And, I mean, you know, Noah, I've been the staunchest Tannehill defender out there. Thank God he's off the books at the end of this season. Now, that said... I don't know what football game you were watching. Malik Willis looked like a deer caught in an industrial set of Mack truck headlights. Okay. You know what I, you know, when I said I was going to put the mic down, I'm going to defend Malik here for a quick second because he did fantastic considering they were in a deficit. There's jet lag and, and don't forget that O-line is shit. Despite all that, he did well considering the fact that he's as young as he is and has so little experience in the NFL. I don't... Look, I want Malik to do well. I really do. The football IQ is not there. Why the hell are you cutting back infield in a situation where we're in deep in Ravens territory, we have no timeouts, you got to step out of bounds, and all of a sudden you're bleeding clock because you decided to try to pull a double move on the linebacker and got your ass sat down. He holds on to the ball for seven seconds of play. And this is the same issues I, I noticed in him last season. And sure, last season, rookie year, rookie jitters, what have you. That's what lost us the Kansas City game last year. He holds on to the ball and will not throw it away. He's always trying to make a play, and it's shooting him in the foot time after time. Vrabel who had marched down the sideline with the team, had to walk away. We sent out the field goal team on third down because of it. Because just the loss of yards upon loss of yards upon loss of yards. Malik was Malik was sacked more times in that one game than Baker Mayfield has been all season. I know our O-line sucks. But at least... Two of those sacks were because he won't let go of the ball. He won't. He'll try to tuck it and run, and he'll get blown up. And it's the same deal with, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the king is a spring chicken. What kind of yardage is he supposed to get behind this line? Like, no shit he's running one yard, two yards, because he's getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage. You need to blow it up. This, this this needed to happen, I'd say, last year. Yet, I know we thought we could compete this season. Clearly not the case. Um, I don't know why the hell we paid Harold Landry over A.J. Brown. That's looking real smart right now, Johnny. Thank God he's gone so we can't cripple us with more terrible financial decisions. But it it's it's time to to descend to the dark ages again. 
Um, we're going back to the Jake Locker years, and I uh, hope we, I hope Marvin Harrison Jr. falls to us in the draft. And I, th- it pains me to say this, but it's tank season, boys, because this is a wash. So I got my heart gashed. It's your turn. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you said you got your heart gashed by this game, and I was going to say, oh, try me. I mean, I, I, I kind of did. Like, the sympathetic part of my heart was like, fuck, poor Noah. And then I remembered that you guys have won a Super Bowl, and we haven't, and it quickly faded away. Um, You guys looked really good. The Seattle Seahawks did right out of the gate against Cincinnati. You did. Your first drive was amazing. First drive was amazing. The problem is, so was the Bengals' first drive, and you guys got called offsides on a fourth and two. Rookie mistakes made by veterans. Um, Andre Yoshi- Yoshivas gets his first career touchdown with the Cincinnati Bengals on a... I'll call it a well-designed play. It wasn't anything miraculous, but he was in the right place at the right time. Look, I've been beating around the bush here. I want to get to the meat and potatoes. And you don't, but I do. What the hell is DK Metcalf doing out there on the field? Stupid ass. Cut him. Don't cut him. Trade him. Maybe trade him. And I'll address that later. This man has had four penalties this year. 75% 75% of them have been personal fouls. Blindside block against Carolina, taunting against Los Angeles, and now unnecessary roughness against Cincinnati, wiping out a massive gain. What the hell is this guy's problem, Noah? Is he just mentally deficient? Is, is, the, is, is, that a, is that a question that we can be asking at this point? It's his ego. And, and that's the only way to put it. It's his ego. He knows that he is one of he's probably the strongest receiver. He knows he's one of the fastest receivers. And he thinks that that gives him free reign to do whatever it is he likes. He allows himself to get frustrated because he knows he can do better, but he just doesn't. Um DK Metcalf can put up some great numbers if he put his ego to the side for one game. And the games where he does do that, he's a phenomenal player. Unfortunately, nobody is there to put him in check. Carroll is famous for having a team, for running a team, and having everybody being their own individual self. For the most part, that works. Look, it worked for the Legion of Boom. Uh, The only reason why that fell apart was because of the Super Bowl, but let's not talk about that. Um, and DK can't set his own ego aside for a second. He lets pettiness get the best of him. And look, I know you're going to cover it for the rest, but he was far from the only player with issues. He did in a way make up for it because he did put up some decent numbers, but these stupid penalties need to stop. They need to end because when he's on the field, I'd almost rather trade him or get rid of him rather than have these stupid penalties that lead to turnovers. Well, and that's where, you know, I'm going to move on, but I want to, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit and you've given me a perfect segue. If a team like the chiefs comes a call in with a good enough offer, do they trade him? 
it depends on what the offer is. If they were to come calling, I don't know if they'd be able to offer us something that Seattle would even listen to. What, what in your eyes would you would you value him at? And I know you're not a GM, you're not an executive, but just as someone who's watched the man play, for what they need and what we need, Chris Jones. Is DK Metcalf as good as Chris Jones? No. But DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf is a good enough player where he would get targeted enough by Mahomes. Mahomes has a has a strong enough arm, is accurate enough, where DK would immediately become the number one guy. Let's face it, after week one, they didn't really need Chris Jones, even though they lost that game. They didn't lose because of the defense. They lost because of Kadarius the offense's inability to catch balls. Seattle, on the other hand, we need more defensive weapons because, look, for as long as Carroll's going to be the head coach, which is the foreseeable future, we're going to be a defensive team. Look, Chris Jones, far better player than DK Metcalf. The ceiling for DK Metcalf is higher than what Chris Jones has because he's pretty much at that ceiling. That's what I would be willing to get rid of him for. Seattle would probably let him go for a second rounder and one of their backup safeties or something stupid. So you mentioned earlier, and I, I'm going to get to this, other idiots on the field. Am I allowed to talk about Ken? I'm going to talk about Ken. Just, second just, and goal. Just, just be gentle with my boy. No. Second and goal on Cincinnati's four-yard line. Illegal low block on your running back. You know what happened after that, Noah? You know what happened? Geno Smith dropped back to pass and promptly got picked off by Mike Hilton. But it's okay. Because, you know, third quarter's going on, early fourth quarter. And, um... You know, Cincinnati takes a really bad roughing the passer flag. Should not have been called. Guess what happens after that? Ken Walker the third. Illegal blindside block. Speaking of speaking of Geno Smith, can you get me uh, some parchment paper and a quill and an ink pot real quick? Because I got to write a letter. And I'm writing this man off. I'm not going to say he can't bounce back. What I am going to say is that 27 and 41, 323 yards, two picks, one of which, fair, DK may have given up his on his route. That's really what it looked like because Cam Taylor Britt was just sitting there. Easiest interception he'll ever have. And four sacks, which cannot entirely be placed on Geno. But even taking those four sacks out of the equation, 323 yards, and you couldn't throw a touchdown. Not even a check down route. Yeah. You got Arizona next week. Should be a bounce back game. If not, do we turn to Drew Locke? I've wanted Drew Locke to start since he got to Seattle. I still want Drew Locke to start. Doesn't mean I like Geno Smith any less. Look, Geno's been around for so long. 
he's he's owed at least one more chance. Frankly, he's owed more than just one more chance because of the season that he had last year. But we can't have the same type of game that we had this week against an Arizona team that has been as feisty as they've been. They're not as bad as everybody makes them out to be. They stick in games. And we'll talk about that game later because I will be covering that game. But as far as Seattle and their struggles, I said it last week, we're not great after bye weeks. I'm glad that it's out of the way, that our bye week is out of the way. But I've seen really bad bye week games from this team for the entire time that I've been a Seahawks fan, and this was by far the worst. I can't tell you how many times we were in the red zone and we came up with nothing. Now, before uh, we get started with the New York Giants and Buffalo Bills recap, I just want to extend a prayer to Damian Harris. Um because he had a pretty scary neck injury yesterday. Um, now he's fine. He's resting at home. He's in concussion protocol, and he has a sprained neck. It was very scary seeing that on the field. Unfortunately, yet another Bills player getting hurt. Thank God he's okay. Gene, I went three for three for horrible games. This was awful. Um, and I'll be totally honest. I stopped watching halfway through the third quarter. I figured, okay, Buffalo will probably come back to win it. I woke up the next morning, looked at the score. Sure enough, Buffalo won 14 to nine. Giants couldn't score a single touchdown. And you know what? I was right. Because I think that if they had Daniel Jones, they would have only scored three or six points instead of the nine. Now, of course, quick shout out to Graham uh, Gano. Three for three. Good job. Proud of you. MVP of the game. Uh, now, again, because I didn't watch the full game, it was a snooze fest. I'm just going to read off some stats. Uh, Tyrod Taylor. 24 for 36, 200 yards, and that's it. No other stats other than an 80.8 passer rating. Not bad, not great. Saquon Barkley, welcome back. 24 rushes for 93 yards with an average of 3.9 per carry. Now, he's not 100% yet. I think he rushed himself back a little too soon. We'll see where it goes from there. Now, the leading receiver was Darius Slayton with four receptions for 69 yards. Average 17.3 yards per cap. And as for defense, we have uh, Bobby Okereke having eight tackles and three assists. As far as sacks go, we have goose eggs across the board. And with McFadden having the only 
interception. Now, before before you continue, I do want to bring it. You know, you mentioned goose eggs across the boards and Bobby Okereke. Um, Bobby Okereke should have had one sack. That was the lightest roughing the passer flag I've seen since the Josh Allen, Josh Allen London game. But I digress. Now, speaking of uh, bad Josh Allen, bad Josh Allen went 19 for 30, 169 yards, two passing touchdowns, and one interception. And as I said, was sacked zero times. He had a passer rating of 86 points. We had James Cook being the leading rusher with 14 rushes for uh, 71 yards. Uh, Stefan Diggs, surprise, surprise, passing lead or reception leader with 10 receptions for 100 yards. The gentlemen scoring the touchdowns were Quinton Morris as well as Dante Hardy. So I want to I want to I want to say something about Brian Dayball real quick. Oh, you want to talk about how he was a safety in college? Well, no, but I actually want to talk about how much of a hack he is. How much of a hack can you be with this shitty of a team? Uh, how's about having the ball on your opponent's goal line not once in the game but twice at the end of both halves? And on the first 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 half ending, sure, I'll put most of the blame on Terod Taylor for not getting his shit together and running anything close to a reliable play. But Look, Giants are in the red zone. Pass play. DPI is called. Game cannot end on a defensive penalty. We get an untimed down. You're on their goal line. Give it to Saquon. Hell, give it to Matt Breida for all I Run the ball. That's all you got to do. Run the ball. How about we drop back and throw a terrible fade route? Now, the receiver's jersey was being tugged halfway to Albuquerque. That said, the Giants had already gotten their mercy call from the refs, and they had to use... You got to use your brains, boys. Literally, you could lean over and score a touchdown and win this game. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It it sucked. Run the ball. Just run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. One yard short. Right, run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. I see my co-host is now Richard Sherman. Richard, how the hell did you get in my house? He must have ran the ball. Anyways, that is it for this recap segment. Okay, so before we get into our draft, I need a drink. Um, Ivan, I'm going to make our drinks. You, uh, you, 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 you tell them what we're drafting. All right, folks, so today we've got a, a draft that we've been delaying for a long time. A draft that we really wanted to give to you guys because it highlights some of the best things about our time watching football, and that being the absolutely badass defenders that we've seen on the gridiron over the past you know, 15, 20 years. As Ivan so eloquently put, we are going to be doing the 
2000s and on defenders draft. Um, these are the defenders that we would have grown up watching, defenders that we've seen play recently. Um, but uh, Ivan, yes, sir. I really hope I can continue this run. I, I also not. have a suggestion for you. Okay, what's your suggestion? This was a suggestion made by one of our faithful listeners who's been listening to us since episode one, week one. And they suggest that we do a snake-style draft. So whoever gets the first overall pick Mm -hmm. gets the first overall pick. The second person gets the second and the third. Then third, or then fourth, then fifth. Fifth, sixth, seven, eight, nine, ten. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Yes. I'm on board for that. Yeah, because it was pointed out to me that uh, it might be a little unfair having an advantage on every single pick. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so at least this way, we both get to have our two respective number ones, um, and then we each have two guys after that. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Now, with that being said, as always, with our special coin... The heads is the Seahawks logo, and the tails is the Titans logo. What are you Tails, doing? baby. Tails. I want to be hurt again. Coin is up. It is down. And my streak has finally come to an end. Tails? It is tails. Okay. Well, I am not going to defer. I will be keeping that number one pick. I'm and, already going to write down. And already- with that number one pick, I'm going to take a man who who hurt my team a lot before I was even born. I'm talking about Ray Lewis. And honestly, best defender of his era. And I don't think I don't think you can contest that without being an absolute moron. There's a lot of guys pushing for number 2, but in my mind and in a lot of people's minds, there's there's one guy at the top, and it's Ray Ray. You know more than anybody. Well, except for maybe my old man. The spot that Ray Lewis has in my heart. I was a middle linebacker when I played football, and I idolized Ray Lewis. I idolized his style, his swagger, his aggression, his ability to read and diagnose plays. And I tried to replicate him in every way that I could. Glad to see him go first overall. I'd be willing to let up these two guys just to have Ray Lewis on my team, but that's not how this works. Now, with that being said, I said there was two guys who were heavily, heavily, heavily influential on me when I was a youngster. And this next player that I'm going to draft is actually the player that made me fall in love with football. I grew up watching the Eagles with my dad. He's the all-time greatest eagle. I don't care what anybody says. Well, what about Big Dick Nick? Nope. I'm going to take Weapon X over Big Dick Nick any day of the week. I That's don't blame right. you. I'm taking Brian Dawkins. Flawless pick. And I'm, and I'm being completely genuine with that. Look, he's one of the most under-celebrated safeties ever. He didn't win any awards. He didn't win a Super Bowl. Never made it to a Super Bowl. Uh, but he had 
1,147 tackles, 26 sacks, 36 forced fumbles because he was known for his hitting ability, um, 37 interceptions, and four touchdowns. Absolutely legendary player. Also has a special place in my heart. Is number two of my three all-time favorite football players. Next up on my list, though, I'm not going to take my third favorite football player because I just got a safety. Why would I get another safety right now? Instead, I'm going to go with the greatest cornerback in the modern era of the NFL, Aqib Tlaib. I can't tell if you're joshing me or not. No, I'm being serious. You're being serious. No, I'm being serious. I truly do believe that he was one of the greatest. He didn't play. I, I, I don't. I don't. I'll let. I'll let you. I'll let you explain before I counter. Look, thirty-five interceptions, ten touchdowns. He didn't play super, super long in the NFL, um, but he still found a lot of success and was one of the biggest pieces. And look, one of the reasons why he goes underrecognized and underappreciated is because nobody ever talked about them. But here's the thing about great cornerbacks. You don't talk about them. Richard Sherman was talked about all the time because he was a loudmouth, because he was a diva. Aqib Tlaib was a fantastic leader and player. And he always did phenomenally and hardly ever allowed quarterbacks to get a really high passer rating against him. I'm really firm on this pick. I think that if he played longer, he would be remembered more fondly. Um, But unfortunately, he wasn't. And he was also on that legendary Broncos team that won Super Bowl 50. And he was part of the no. He was part of the no fly zone. So I'll, you know, I'll give you all the credit in the world for that. And I want to say thank you, Noah, because you're allowing me to boost the hell out of my secondary right now. I'm sticking with pain. I want Ed Reed. Wow. Give me the safety who has the most interception return yards in NFL history, as well as the two longest interception returns for touchdowns in league history. Give me a man who put it all out there every day, every night. A man who scared receivers. I want Ed Reed. Look. Are you just building the Ravens team? I thought about it. I really did. Um, now, look, you can't have a good safety without a really good corner. And my heart jumped into my throat when you said you were taking a corner, but I'm glad I'm safe. I want Darrell Rivas. Give me the man that locked down Megatron, that locked down Randy Moss, that got a whole ass island named after him because of how good he was as a grade A shutdown corner. I don't, I, I can't I, argue that. Yeah. I, Personally, I still take Tlaib, but I also never really watched Revis, so I can't attest to how good he was. Tlaib I watched a lot of. Um, I thought his game was really fun to watch, and like you, I liked watching Manning. Um, But, yeah. Now I'm glad I get to take uh, who I think is the best defensive lineman of the last 20 years. This is a man who scored six touchdowns, 27 forced fumbles, 114.5 sacks. 
Unfortunately, never won a Super Bowl, but was a three-time Defensive Player of the Year and was also a Walter Payton Man of the Year. Of course, I'm going to go with J.J. Watt. That is a pick where you can do no wrong. You know, and I... I was praying you weren't going to pick him. I, I thought about it. I, I really did, but I, I looked at the names that I had above him, and it's like you, know, you can't go, you, you can't not take who I took. But it, you're doing yourself a favor by taking J.J. Watt. Absolutely. Now, just looking at my team here, I have the Punisher, the Interceptor, and the Monster up front. Do you know what every def- good defense needs? What does every good defense need? Every good defense needs an all-star linebacker to lead the charge, to punish enemies, and to define your team. One of the most defining linebackers of all time, that is not Ray Lewis, who I'm going to pick at my four, is Brian Urlacher. Yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Look. Again, never won a Super Bowl. But 1361 uh, tackles, 41.5 sacks, 22 interceptions, two touchdowns. Can't go wrong with him. Absolutely state absolute staple with the Bears. Absolute legend. And even though he's number seven on my list, I need a linebacker on my team, and that's who I'm going to go with here. I like that a lot. I mean, growing up, I saw a lot of Erlacher jerseys. People just wear them casually everywhere they went, even here in Winnipeg. Like, that just shows you how good of a guy he was. Definitely a very good pick. And I've come to the realization all of a sudden that I'm down to my last two picks. This this new format is is really messing with me a little bit here. But um okay. Look. I've got line I've got a linebacker. I've got a really great secondary. I need somebody up front. I want Warren Sapp. Wow, I thought you were gonna say Aaron Donald. No, I want Warren Sapp. Give me the seven time Pro Bowl. Super Bowl champion, four-time All-Pro, Hall of Fame, All-1990s team, 1999 AP Defensive Player of the Year, All-2000s team, nose tackle, Warren Sapp. 96 and a half sacks in 198 games, 440 solo tackles, 19 forced fumbles. This man could stop everything. He could stop a Peterbilt if it was rolling down the highway at him. Absolutely. Great pick. And I guess it's it's that time, folks. Last pick for me. Of course, I am taking second greatest safety I've ever seen, Troy Polamalu. I see that. Look, I think you, you thought I was going to say somebody else. No, I want Troy Polamalu. This man had the brains and maybe the lack of brains to do some of the most otherworldly things I've ever seen. This man single-handedly ruined Pat McAfee's career. This man picked off a ball that should have been dead to rights. They made a rule about head tackling because of his flowing locks. I can't think of a better guy to have alongside Reed in my secondary. 
Absolutely. I agree 100%, except for the fact that I don't. I think I know what you're about to say, but because haul away. Because my number five, I'm going to go with the man who put the boom in the Legion of Boom. I'm going to go with the man who played three less years, but put up more tackles than Troy Polamalu did in every single year that he did. He would have beat his record if it wasn't for a terrible neck injury that took him out. I'm talking about the most dominant safety at the time he was playing, Cam Chancellor. My all-time favorite Seahawk. My third all-time favorite player. Absolute beast. Absolute monster. He is the most unrecognized and un- underappreciated piece of the Legion of Boom. You had Sherman, who was loud. Earl Thomas, who had his dramatic exit out of the Seahawks and the NFL for having an orgy with his brother. Cam Chancellor, man of God, quiet, family first, and the absolute enforcer. The moment you knew Seattle was going to win a game was the moment Cam put a first hit on somebody. He was the most vital piece of that legendary defense, and without him, they wouldn't have been the Legion of Boom. In my mind, I take Cam over Paul Malu any day. You know, and that's fair. And I, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was going to take him from you, but I watched more of Troy Paul Malu when I was growing up. I mean, when I was growing up, I hated Seattle, right? Like, fair. I grew up in what you could call a Denver household because. Of my dad. Yeah. And I had a little Troy Polamalu figurine when I was a kid, actually. Little oh. thing. I don't know where it is. I, I think I might that. still have it. Yeah. yeah. But I like that pick a lot. And I'm actually kind of glad that you... Now let's uh, give a recap on who we drafted, shall we? Yes, sir. I, I guess I get to go first, don't yes, I? Yes, you do. Wow. All right. So we got Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Darrell Rivas, Warren Sapp, and Troy Polamalu. Very nice. And I have Weapon X, Akib Talib, JJ Watt, Brian Urlacher, and Cam Bam Bam Chancellor. Oh, that felt good to say. I really do think this is the most deadlocked draft we've ever done. I mean, I'm very biased because I have two of my top three, so I can't be objective here. My guys, my, my top five didn't get touched, so that's a lie. Because I had Dawkins at two, just as a, you know, safety valve. Fair enough, fair enough. But outside of that, mm-hmm. clear rolling. And as always, uh, we will have a poll uh, this week to vote in. Uh, we have a very loyal listener who commented last week who was very disappointed that we didn't have a poll. So a quick shout out to, let me double check it here. Um, Liam? <laughs> Liam? Liam? Uh, sorry to disappoint you last week, but, uh, this, this vote is, uh, is especially for you because I know how much you love to vote for Ivan. Moving on (laughs) to our week seven predictions. Feels weird to say. It's hard to believe that we're that far into the season already. It's gone fast. It's gone really fast. Now I'm going to kick off 
Um, my predictions with uh, the Thursday night primetime game brought to you by Primetime Productions. Uh, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Nolan Saints. Look, Trevor Lawrence is questionable, and that's going to be a really big factor. Zay Jones is inactive. And look, typically, the Jacksonville offense is far better than New Orleans. But look, if you're missing your starting quarterback and one of your best receivers, it's going to be really tough to compensate for that, especially quarterback. And especially when you take into consideration that this New Orleans defense is a better defense than that of the Jacksonville Jaguars, statistically. I don't necessarily believe that because they don't have good Josh Allen on their team, but I digress. It's tough for me to say that Jacksonville is going to win with certainty. I really, really want to say it will happen. But with how Trevor Lawrence has been playing the last few weeks, being lazy, and the fact that he's questionable, Zay Jones is marked as inactive for the time being. I got to go 27 to 21 in favor of the Saints. I want to have the same faith in the Saints that you have. Lawrence will more than likely play. And that's just me making baseless assumptions. Derek Carr is still questionable. We could see more famous Jameis football. Chris Olave is questionable. Tight end Jawan Johnson is out. Left tackle James Hurst is questionable. Left defensive end Cam Jordan still questionable. Demario Davis, linebacker, questionable. Tyran Matthew, their big splash free safety, guess what? He's questionable too. So the Saints are about to be looking like a pair of 50-year-old jeans with all the patches they're going to need to have. This this could very well and true come down to famous Jameis against C.J. Bathard. Nobody wants to see that. If it comes to that, I'll take New Orleans. But as it is right now, having not heard any big reports about T-Law's injury, I'm going to take the Jags 21 to 18. And that's kind of where I'm rolling right now, is that I'm, I'm working under the assumption that Trevor won't be playing. If Trevor's playing, of course, I would swap these. But I have to make a call here, and at this point in time, I look at who's active and who's inactive. Look, even though he's questionable, it's still marked as inactive when you look at him. So I'm going to take the former starter in the league, Mr. 30 for 30, over Mr. Nobody. No, and that's fair. That's fair. I, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. So this is one where I'm completely willing to be wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. You know how much I've cheered for the Jags this year. Um and uh, hopefully it works out. Now, Ivan, what's yes, your no? first prediction? Uh, my first prediction is one of the dullest games I could have drawn, and I wanted to draw it just to give you a little bit of sympathy. I got the Green Bay Packers and the Denver Broncos. Why do you do this to yourself? Uh, because I, I don't know, man. 
Look, Denver's wide receiver group needs to get going and needs to get going pronto. I don't think that Jerry Judy has recovered from what Steve Smith said to him last week yet. And look, if they're going to get going, now's not a bad time because, sure, the Packers have Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas as their corners. Darnell Savage is questionable. That's their free safety. That's going to make things the slightest bit easier. To add on to that, both of their starting outside linebackers, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, are both questionable. Now, losing Quay Walker might be a benefit for the Packers just because of all of his boneheaded mistakes, but it'll make it a lot easier for the Broncos to run crossing routes, you know, short, quick passes, get Russ into a groove, and then go for the long ball. Aaron Jones, who is also questionable for Green Bay, really needs to get going. Bad. Like, he's not gotten a whole lot of touches, and he's run okay with them, but they need to give him the ball more. You've got a split backfield of Jones and A.J. Dillon for a reason. Take advantage of it. (sighs) Look, this game is going to, it's going to suck. I'm just going to be straight with you. I have no faith in any team to do anything. That said, I am giving this one to the Denver Broncos, 17-10, to 10, just because I think Jordan, Jordan Love will make more mistakes than Russ, and that's really what it's coming down to. Wow, this is the first time that we've disagreed on two games back-to-back for our in-depth predict- predictions. Oh, shit, hang a banner. Because, look, this tank bowl, let's just call it what it is. It's a tank bowl. Um, after watching Denver last week, I don't trust that they'll be able to come out and do much of anything. Green Bay has been playing better consistently than Denver has been, I would argue. Um, And for that reason, I'm going to take the team that I think is better and that has been performing as such. uh, 17 to 14 in favor of Green Bay. Moving on to the West Coast. Let's not act surprised here. First divisional matchup, we have the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Look, Arizona's biggest, weakest weak spot is their rush defense. Ken Walker is going to be wanting to uh, um, make a comeback for all the mistakes that he made. And look, Seattle loves to establish a run game. I think they're going to be able to do it fairly quick. Um, but also Geno Smith really needs to step up here and taking all of these things into consideration. They lost a very, very, very winnable game, um, that they lost via stupid mistakes and just pure stupidity. Um, so they're going to be pissed off coming into this one. Now let's not pretend that Arizona has been doing really well because they have been, and they're going to play extra hard because it's a divisional rival. And look, as much as I don't hate on the Cardinals, as much as I do the 49ers or the Rams. Look, um, we mentioned this earlier. This needs to be Geno's bounce back game. I'm going to be really honest with you. I know the Cardinals record doesn't show it. 
they've been playing pretty good football. And I don't trust the Seahawks to limit the mistakes enough to the point where they smooth sail this one at all to the point where I'm going to give this one to Arizona. We're going to keep disagreeing here. 20 to 17 for the cards because I just, I don't know what to say about your Hawks that I haven't already said. All right. We're going to stay in the Western division, but we're going to swap conferences. I got the Sandy. Nope. I got the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Monday night, notwithstanding, this Chargers team is mostly healthy. Sebastian Joseph Day was injured early in the Monday night game against Dallas. Aside from that, no major pieces other than Mike Williams, who will miss more time still on IR. Just, Justin Herbert still having his nagging finger issue, but seems to have settled in. The problem is the Chiefs are completely healthy, and they're going to be kind of mad at themselves because they really didn't play up to their potential at all against the Denver Broncos. Look, the Chargers have allowed 140 more pass yards per game than the Chiefs. Fortunately, that won't matter because the Chiefs don't have a wide receiver group. That said, the Chargers defense is going to have to step up. The Khalil Mack is going to have to do what he did against Vegas, really have another career-type game, because Patrick Mahomes is going to pull something out of his back pocket like he does. That's just an inevitability. I'm not, And I'm not even talking about about the stripes. I'm just saying he's got this innate ability to make things happen that shouldn't. That said, look, Chiefs need to be consistent. You got to trust your wideouts here, as difficult as it is, because we know it's Drop City over there. Yeah, look, it's bad. They've they've been eating too much popcorn, but. At this I point, don't, they're just scooping butter out of the out of the pail. Yeah, I don't see the run game, and I want to be wrong. Maybe the time that I don't talk about them needing to run, they'll do it. I don't see the run game getting too far against this Chargers front seven. Chiefs are going to take it 28-24, to 24, and the stats are not going to be pretty for either side. Fair. So, wow, we're going to continue disagreeing here. Even though at the time of recording, there's 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Cowboys are leading against the Chargers 17-10. to 10. Look, if the Chargers lose here, they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be pissed off. They already don't like the Chiefs. They're going to come in extra fiery, extra heated. Um, and I think they're going to take this 22-15. to 15. It's embarrassing losing to the Cowboys. In the last game that I will be covering, I really hope this is going to be a really good game. I really do. I don't think it will be. But let's talk about why. This is going to be the most adversity that either team has faced, will face at this point in time. Look, even though um, Miami has lost already, the Eagles are just scrappy. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep working. They're not going to give up at any point in time. But unfortunately, 
with Darius Slay marked as inactive, there's no way that this already struggling pass defense will be able to keep up with Tyreek Hill and Waddle. But there is a way for the Eagles to win. Establish a running game, run the clock down throughout the game, uh, because here's the thing, Miami can score fast, and they will. So you need to have long, methodical drives wear down that defense, so that way towards the end of the game, if you need to have a shootout, you will. Now, as much as I do want to have faith in the Eagles, I can't. Because they've been far too inconsistent, and they've shown way too much struggle. They've been struggling a lot. As much as I want to say the Eagles will win or keep it competitive, I can't say they will. It breaks my heart to say this, but I have Miami taking this 34 to 13. From the top rope. Um, look. This is an Eagles team that's coming in, they're going to be pissed off. They lost to the New York Jets for God's sake. Unforgivable. That said, actually, no, I'm going to talk. I'm going to finish my Eagles point here. This is a Miami team that gave up, that went down 14 0 to the Carolina Panthers. You can claw back like that against the Panthers easy. Against the Eagles, no. And the Eagles are a more dangerous football team out the gate than Carolina is. But let's be realistic, folks. Look, I've made it clear to you before, Noah, I don't like what the Eagles have got going on this season. Way too roller coastery for my liking. I don't see this being a complete blowout, but I do see 32 to 14 for Miami. Because, like you mentioned, you know, Slay is not going to be there. And. Jalen Hurts didn't look good, and that was against New York. Well, and look, that's, like you said, well, like we both said, Darius Slay not being there, that's the biggest issue for me. You already struggle on the pass, and now you don't have your number one cornerback to to get rid of Hill or Waddle. It's going to be really, really tough to win. I hope the Eagles... uh, you know, blow away my expectations and somehow manage to win. But realistically, I can't see it happening. Not with their current injuries. Who's your last team, Ivan? So this may very well be the most depressing game I've had to cover yet. I got the Washington football team against New York Giants. (sighs) Look, I'm going to make this quick because I don't want to talk about the Giants much more than I have to. Andrew Thomas, still questionable. Daniel Jones, at time of recording, still out, which means more to Rod Taylor. John Michael Schmitz Jr., still out. So that's your left tackle, your quarterback, your center. All out and or questionable. (sighs) Look. If we see what we saw from the New York Giants against Buffalo, like what we saw against Buffalo, against this football team, 
I don't know what to tell you. You've got Saquon, like, again, and I mentioned this earlier, you've got Saquon Barkley there. You're down at the goal line. Punch it in. Win the game. Run the fucking ball. Run the ball. It's it's not rocket surgery, and the Giants have turned it into rocket surgery. Hell, like I said, maybe, look, Saquon's coming off injury. He's not 100%. He might not be 100% coming into this game. What are you going to do? Give him another 25 carries? That's going to tear him apart. As much as I've talked down on Matt Breida for the past stretch, now is the time to use him. Because you can rest Saquon. You've still got a dependable backup option. Unfortunately, the football team might be getting Montez Sweat back. And that makes that D-line just that much better. I mean, you've already got Chase Young, Jonathan Allen up there. Why not just, you know, put Montez Sweat back on the right side? Why not? What do you got to lose? Look, they're going to need to play tight run defense, which they can do with this front set that they have. I don't know if I trust Terod Taylor throwing to this particular group of wideouts to be able to make the big plays that are going to need to be made. Maybe I'm being a bit generous to the Giants here. I got a little bit of hope for them. Just just, just a scotch. 21-10 in favor of the football team. Neither team's been wonderful, but the Giants are on a downward trajectory, and it that roller coaster doesn't look to be stopping anytime soon. And I agree. The Giants look worse and worse and worse week after week after week. And yeah, they were able to have a lead at half against the Buffalo Bills, but that's because Buffalo wasn't on their game. Buffalo struggled. Buffalo looked like shit. And last I checked, football game's two halves. Exactly. So, sorry Giants fans, this is going to be yet another loss for you guys, but... This is another tank bowl. I th- think you guys are only going to lose by one score. 17-10 Washington. I feel bad for anybody that has to watch it. Ivan, I don't feel bad for you because I had three punt bowls back to back to back. That and I actively chose this game. That and you actively chose this game. I was forced into those. Um, But all in all, I think Washington takes it here. I think, both, I think their defense is going to dominate. And that'll essentially decide it. Now that's it for our in-depth predictions. Let's move on to the rest of the NFL, shall we? Now before we do, we do have a few bye weeks to announce. Uh, The Carolina Panthers, Cincinnati Bengals, Dallas Cowboys, Tennessee Titans, uh, Houston Texans, and New York Jets all have weeks now first off now the first game we're going to be talking about is the cleveland hands taking on the indianapolis colts this game has been decided already because quarterback number four probably won't play he's too busy whining about his sore shoulder the colts are gonna be mad they got whooped in duval for the ninth straight year They're not going to walk all over the hands. 
because, I mean, we saw what this Cleveland defense did to the Niners. But I do see margins to the likes of 21 to 10 again in favor of Indianapolis. Now, it's funny because that's very close to mine, except I have one extra score for the losing team, which is not going to be the hands. This defense is too good. They're on a historic pace. Uh, As much as I love Gardner Minshew, he won't be able to do anything. I don't care that the hands have a backup quarterback. It's this defense that's going to win it. Uh, 21-13 for the hands. Next up, we have the Buffalo Bills going up against the New England Patriots. Bills. By, Bills, it's, Bills by lots. Bills by lots. Look. Because Bill won't be able to do anything against the Bills. I have 30 to 10. You're being awful generous. Because we're in the same range. 35-10 I got. Look, it's, it's not going to be pretty. We could see Malik Cunningham come out to replace Mac Jones at some point. Yikes. That just yikes. It's bad. There's no offense. And again, I'm going to stand up for McCorkle Jones for as, as much as possible. Um, but he needs to be on a different team to find success if it's possible for him to have success. Next up, we have the Raiders going over to Chicago to face up against the Bears. Raiders? Really? The Bears looked like a flat tire against Minnesota. What kind of flat tire? Are we talking like a Formula One flat tire or a NASCAR? We're talking one of them like 2005 Brickyard 400 NASCAR tires that not only did it blow, it ripped the right front fender off the cars repeatedly. Okay. That that's 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 what I saw. Well, I'm glad you're finally seeing what I've been seeing. I had my I had my faith in the Bears and it is gone, gone with the wind. But my faith in the Raiders isn't that high either. Seventeen fourteen Las Vegas. Look, Jimmy G probably won't play. And I don't think the Raiders know who they're going to start. Because McDaniel seems to not like Aiden O'Connell. And that's kind of what I'm ruling with here. Now, with that being said, Fields is not 100%. If I remember correctly, he will be starting. But I don't think this is going to be a good game by any means. I think this is going to be another punt bowl. I have 12-9. to in favor of Chicago. See, and I can't I can't see Fields starting. He's got a broken thumb. You can't grip a ball. It's his throwing hand, for God's sake. Irregardless. Uh, you can't put a quarterback into that position. Look, it's either an unhealthy Fields or a backup quarterback. I'd expect the same thing from either one. It's the Bears and um, the Raiders. So, again, I stand by it. Punt or... Uh, Kick bowl, 12 to 9. Next up, we have another divisional matchup with the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Oh, yeah. 
me too. Atlanta's progressively regressed week on week. Uh, so I can't expect anything other than that. So I'm going to go 20 to 9 for Tampa. See, and I'm going to go 24 to 7. Because, look, sure, the Falcons put up a good fight against the football team. Whoop dee doo. They're the Falcons. Like you said, they're actively getting worse as the season goes on. And the Buccaneers are just good. Which is surprising. But let's not sleep on them. Next up, we actually have what I think will be a really good game. The Detroit Lions taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Lions. I have Lions as well. But I think it's going to be a an interesting game. I think it's going to be a competitive game. Um, because look, even though their defense looked undisciplined, even though they had their issues in London, again, jet lag. Um, I think it's going to be a tight one. 33 to 27 in favor of Detroit. I'm giving 30 to 22 because look. Jet lag going one way is bad enough. They opted out of taking a bye after coming home. Oh? Yeah, you have the option. When you come home from an international game, you have the option to have a bye that next week. That's what Tennessee's done. Jet lag works both ways. That's true. These guys are going to be wiped. It doesn't like it doesn't matter when they get back. They could have gotten back already. They'll be Dead men walking for a few days. You won't be able to get a good practice session going. 34 to 22 for Detroit. Wow, you've changed it. 34. I have changed it because I, I, I've done you know done some thinking, and I think it's going to be a tight first half. But once that second half starts, Campbell will make his adjustments, and the Ravens will just be dying out there. Fair enough. I actually really appreciate uh your position, so I'm actually going to change it from 27 to 23. Detroit's still winning. Next up, we have the Steelers in LA taking on the Rams. This is going to be a horrible game. The Rams look bad and have been looking bad. Their age is starting to show, which is what I predicted. They'd look good early on and then start to fall off a cliff. Unfortunately, the Steelers still employ Matt Canada. Unfortunately. This game is going to suck. This is going to be a defensive matchup. Not because the Rams have an outstanding defense, but because the Pittsburgh offense is that bad. And their defense is phenomenal, going up against a very solid Rams offense. 10-7. to But LA is coming out with this. With Puka Nisua and Cooper Cup. 14-10, also Los Angeles, because Matt Canada is an active detriment, and there's only so much that the defense can do. Also, Kenny Pickett just looks lost. Now we have the, the Monday night matchup with the San Francisco 49ers taking on... The Minnesota Vikings. Now, look. (sighs) Christian McCaffrey is still questionable. But because he's questionable, 
just the possibility that he's going to be playing is going to distract Minneapolis. Because Minneapolis is going to think, well, we have to prepare for McCaffrey. And if McCaffrey doesn't play well, the Niners have other running backs. Niners are going to be pissed. Minnesota has been struggling on defense all year. That's not going to change now. And a Minnesota offense without Justin Jefferson can't keep up. 35-12. Fucking Niners. Okay, so CMC's questionability, you're right there. They're going to have to prep for him because you don't know. Same deal, Debo Samuel. Who knows? Look, this is going to be a bad... It's a bad time to be a Vikings fan. Um, I feel like they ought to start investing in Stick'em because holy mother of fumbles. I believe they're at 11 or 12 on the season now. And this is a Niners team that is going to capitalize on that. They'll be peanut punching all day long. 42 to 10. They're going to be mad. The Vikings barely looked... They didn't even look good against the Bears. It's... It's not going to be good. Now without I'll say that weapon, much. There's nothing they can do. Now, that's the last game. And uh, we don't have any announcements. We don't have anything to talk about other than saying thank you... To everybody who's been listening in, uh, and thank you for listening to us while we go through this transition in name and identity. And until next time, guys, bottoms up.